Arms out like wings. The spark. In the middle of a street full of similar but not identical council houses, our house stood out. I like to think it was better than all the others, but that is surely a matter of taste. It certainly had the best position, being right opposite the shops. A fish and chip shop that had queues outside every Friday night. A sweet shop that had big jars of sweets you could buy just two ounces of, and four penny blackjacks or flying saucers. And, of course, the all-important cigarettes, which could be bought individually. A butcher's shop that had a whole pig's head on the counter, which I hated, and sold haslet by the slice, which I loved. A corner shop owned by an exotic Indian family who stocked foreign things like pomegranates and smelled of spices and slightly rotting vegetables. We even had a bus stop right outside our house. Sometimes my dad would park his lorry here. This was thrilling. A 40-tonner, an Arctic. These were days when nobody cared how a lorry would look in the street. It was something to be proud of. To rush out and look at, and maybe even have a sit in the cab and breathe in the daddy smell of engine oil and cigarettes, just like in his shed. The houses were all red brick. Ours had a big gable at the front, which gave it the feel of being double-fronted when all the others were single. There were a couple of others like ours in the street, but they were somehow dull, and they hadn't been pimped. In the middle of the gable was a big air brick, and birds always nested in it, swooping from our beautiful cherry tree to their nest, in and out, in and out, all day long. I tamed the stray dog my brother brought home under that cherry tree. He bit me several times, but I persevered, getting closer each day until he became our beloved family pet, Mickey. When the cherry tree was in full blossom, I would skip under it and my skipping rope would brush the blossoms and make them float down on me. I would do that for hours and go indoors to tea speckled with pink. When mum and dad came to England from Italy, they lived in a prefab. Mum really loved living there, but it was never meant to be permanent. So when the council houses were built down the road, mum and dad moved themselves in under cover of darkness with their two children. And that was that. Sort of early squatters, really. But they paid their rent regularly and stayed in that house for 20 odd years. I was born in their bedroom in this house as was my little sister. Walking down the front path, which was right down the middle of the garden, cherry tree on the left and the big square fish pond Dad and my brother built on the right. Around the front door was a wooden structure covered in yellow roses, another of my Dad's creations. Nobody had seen anything like this in our street apart from in old movies, and nowadays it would be very Pinterest. Now let me take you inside our house. Through the front door, stairs on the left, wide enough for two of us to bump down on our bottoms, the winner landing with screams of delight on the big bottom step, 
grazes from the rough carpet on our elbows that we couldn't feel because it was such fun. On the right, as you enter, is our front room. I would love to show you all over our house, but that would be a whole other story. And it's in the front room that my story begins. So let's take a look in there. This room is not the biggest room in the house, but most of our furniture is in here. A cottage-style three-piece suite with wooden arms and flowery upholstery. It wouldn't be at all comfy if it wasn't for all the newspapers stuffed under the cushions. This served to give their skimpiness some substance and made the newspapers easy for Mum to get to when she was lighting the fire each morning. The fire. Was it always alight? We would toast bread on it with a wire fork. You could tell when it was done by the delicious charcoal smell. Such a fine line between perfect and burnt. Everything in this room was only arm's length away. The dining table and four chairs were also in this room. G plan, I think. The type with spindly black legs protruding at an angle and polished brown wooden top. But ours was covered in scratches and glass ring marks. This was simply from good living, not slovenliness. Though I have to admit, my mum was not the most enthusiastic of housekeepers. And anyway, we always had a tablecloth at mealtimes. We would pull the table out for dinner, so we could use the three-piece suite to sit on with extra cushions under for us kids, as well as the four chairs with wooden backs and orange plastic seats that made up the dining suite. That's not everything that was in our front room. It was a veritable Mary Poppins bag. To match the G-plan table and chairs, there was a sideboard with full cocktail cabinet with the most tactile cocktail sticks inside made from dangerously spiky metal with coloured baker-like balls on the end. I never tired of touching and examining them. Every Sunday evening, my whole family would sit in front of the TV in our tiny sitting room and watch Sunday night at the London Palladium. It still makes my heart sing to remember it. The anticipation, the music, the acts, and most of all, the Tiller Girls. As the curtain rose, the Tiller Girls would be in position, and so would I. Dressed to the nines, me and my best party dress of pink nylon topped with my big sister's frilly petticoats. A thick pink headband that covered my ears, the go-to style for wannabe ballet dancers at that time and my best slightly too small black paint and shoes over my mum's stockings and suspender belt. The Tiller girls in sequined leotards, fishnet tights, and oh, so many feathers. I would dance round, flapping my arms and spinning like a dervish to the joy of my parents, whilst the Tiller girls walked around gracefully ex- executing perfect high kicks in perfect formation. My brother, who was about 14, would have a shandy on the go, that mixed with the faint smell of cigarettes, made the room feel like a pub. That sounds shabby, I know, but actually it made it feel like we were out on the town. It felt cosy and exciting all at the same time. Dad would have a shandy too, and he and Mum would have a cigarette, which they each held in their own peculiar ways. Mum, very elegantly, fingers stretched straight with painted nails, sometimes a little chipped. Dad would hold his cigarettes facing into his palm and kind of twist his wrist to take a puff. We thought that this was his ingenious way of making sure he didn't burn anyone with his cigarette. After all, the room was a little crowded. 
But actually, it was a leftover habit from his time as a soldier to assure that the light from his cigarette wasn't seen in the blackout at night, as practised by most male smokers at that time. My big sister would be in full makeup, false eyelashes, eyeliner, the lot. Hair perfectly backcombed. She used to do her makeup before any special TV programme. She wanted to feel her best so she could enjoy it thoroughly. They might not have shared in my parents' delight at my performance, but nonetheless, they found it all quite funny. They would each occasionally crack the orange velvet curtains a little to check if any of their friends were outside. This was before my little sister was born and before my mum and big sister were simultaneously pregnant and our tiny sitting room would become even more crowded with baby paraphernalia. Chatter about Huey Green's flash suit and who would fill the coal bucket swam above the music. Shut your traps, you ignorant lot, and watch the little one. She's got real talent, barked my dad one evening. It was settled then. Glenda was obviously the dancer in the family, and not just any old hoofer. Surely, my parents thought, I would become a prima ballerina, the next Margot Fontaine. I even looked a little bit like her. So they asked around for ballet classes.